Thanks so much, Anna. Uh, it is great to be with you, and I want to add my welcome to uh, Nick. So if you are new or visiting here this morning, a special welcome to you. Uh, really excited about this next series that we're going into. I'm not sure if you spent much time in the book of 1 Peter, uh, but over the next 10 weeks, we're going to be spending uh, a bunch of time just working our way systematically through this letter. And it's a letter that contains so much practical application on how we are to navigate this world, this world in which we live. You know, sometimes as Christians, it can often feel like we're swimming against the tide. Yeah? Peter, he's got this pastoral letter that's written to encourage and to instruct us. And this morning, as Nick said, we're going to take time just to focus and to hone in on these first two verses. Two verses that are vitally important to understanding this letter. Two verses that mark out the foundation on which Peter will build the rest of his letter. So with that in mind, why don't we pray to our great God uh, that he would help us understand his word today. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for gathering us once again this week. We thank you for your word. And regardless of what our weeks have been like, whatever distractions are running through our minds this morning, we ask that you would help us to focus in on what you have to say to us, to your church. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever been a foreigner? Have you ever been a foreigner in another country? I'm not talking about a, a tourist, uh, holidaying over in Fiji or something like that for a short period of time, but, but someone who spent an extended period of time in another country. Uh, sometimes people pack up and move countries to start all over again. Uh, other times people move for the, the quintessential allure of an overseas experience or for perhaps a new job in a different country. Uh, sometimes we move countries for a girl, <laughs> That's what I did in 2008. I sold my car, stuffed everything I had left over in a cupboard at mum and dad's and, and headed to a far, far away place called Australia. I was a foreigner in a world of ochre accents and deadly animals. I was an outsider. I don't know how to handle a snake. <laughs> but I was courting one of their local girls. I was a stranger in a strange land. Now, it's not all that bad. I was on the Gold Coast and they say that about half the Gold Coast is filled with Kiwis, so it wasn't completely out of my uh, comfort zone. But if you've ever been a stranger, if you've ever had that experience, uh, perhaps you're here today and that's your experience. You've moved to New Zealand, to Auckland, and you're a foreigner here. That's going to set you up really well to be able to relate to the context in which Peter writes. And there are two ways, I take it, of reacting to being in a foreign country, yeah? The first is you kind of seek out your own people. You eat the same food as them, you, you t talk the same language, you, you kind of form your own community, your, your little ghetto within that foreign country. You don't engage in the, in the country that you're living in, you, you just kind of bunker down and you do your own thing. Or the other way to, to navigate that is to do the complete opposite. <laughs> to just diminish all the differences between yourself and those around you. And so you, you quickly adopt the culture and the habits of those around you. You work hard at assimilating in and, and not standing out in the society around you. Uh, both of these opposite reactions are a means, I take it, of self-preservation. Because no one likes being a foreigner. No one likes being a stranger. And as we dive into 1 Peter, we're going to find that the Christian life is a life lived as a foreigner, as a stranger. 
This world is, is not our home because we belong elsewhere. Our citizenship is not of this country or, or any country for that matter. We don't belong here because we belong to God. We belong to the risen Lord Jesus. And so we've called this series uh, Citizens and Strangers uh, to try and capture something of those two colliding realities, that we belong to God and that this world is not our home. So let's take a look at the citizens that are found in 1 Peter. The first person we're introduced to uh, in verse 1 is the apostle himself. Look with me, I think it's on the screen. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. So this is Peter, the apostle. Uh, he's the author. This is his letter written by him through Silvanus. He's, he's one who himself is a citizen of heaven, for he belongs to Jesus Christ. He's Jesus' apostle. Now, we know a lot about Peter from other uh, biblical books and external sources as well. We know that Peter was one of the first followers of Jesus. He was called by Jesus to go with him. He was the first to uh, verbalize, if not the first to recognize, who Jesus was when he said that you are the Christ. And then after that high recognizing of who Jesus was, then there was that moment where he failed to appreciate the significance of the situation. He was rebuked by Jesus to say, get behind me, Satan. He was quick at saying how good he'd be at following Jesus. And then he denied Jesus three times before the rooster crowed. Most importantly, though, Peter was a witness to Jesus' suffering firsthand. And Peter was one of the first people who ran to the empty tomb, who saw the risen Lord Jesus resurrected. And this, this was mind-blowing for Peter. This turned his world upside down. And so Peter moves from being a, a frightful, fragile, uh, fearful fisherman to an incredible proclaimer of the Lord Jesus. Why? Because he had seen the risen Lord Jesus. We know from elsewhere that uh, he was crucified under Nero around AD 64, uh, most likely in Rome. And story has it that he was crucified upside down because he didn't want to be crucified in the same way as Jesus. This is Peter. This is the one who is writing this letter, Peter the Apostle. And Peter has addressed this letter to fellow citizens. He says in verse 1, to those chosen. Now, we'll talk a little bit more about what it means to be chosen, but, but the context into which Peter is writing is an area known as today as modern-day Turkey. Uh, within a few short years of Jesus' death and resurrection, there, there are Christians who are scattered or dotted throughout all of these provinces. I think there's a map on the screen. You can see up there in sort of the, the top right-hand corner where, Paul, uh, where Peter is writing to. Uh, Peter's located over in Rome in Italy. And so he's writing to Christians that are scattered throughout this region, people who have been convinced of the evidence of who this man really is. The recipients of this letter are people who know and trust in Christ, chosen citizens of heaven. Because knowing who you are and having a clear sense of yourself is the way you carry yourself well through this life, and especially as a Christian. Paul uh, picks up the same idea in Philippians, doesn't he? In Philippians 3 verse 20, he says, Our citizenship is in heaven, 
and we eagerly wait for a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. So for us, we may have a passport that's stamped with New Zealand, but our citizenship is in heaven. We're in a world, we're in this world, but we're not of this world. We look forward to heaven as our home. And yet Peter goes on to refer to these citizens as living exiles, living as strangers dispersed abroad. So carry on with me. To those chosen, living as exiles, dispersed abroad in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. They're strangers, aren't they? They're strangers, but not because they've moved there, not because they've moved into the area, but rather because they have shifted their allegiance. It's a description of the Christian's relationship to the world around them. Over in 1 Peter chapter 4, we read these words from verse 3. For there has already been enough time spent in doing what the Gentiles chose to do, carrying on in unrestrained behavior, evil desires, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and lawless idolatry. This is what these people were once involved in. Verse 4, so they're surprised that you don't now join them in the same flood of wild living, and they slander you. You see, for these exiles of the dispersion, they're really Christians that are dispersed. They're a reflection, if you like, of Christians who are dispersed throughout the world. Christians whose citizenship is now in heaven, and their king is Jesus, and so they are living as exiles from heaven. And Peter, he wants these Christians, these, these Gentile Christians, probably some Jews in there as well, to know that they are merely passing through this world as foreigners, as strangers. And so he calls them exiles who are dispersed abroad. An exiled people, strangers in a strange land. Peter's going to use this same word in the next chapter, in verse 11. He says this, Dear friends, I urge you as strangers and exiles to abstain from sinful desires that wage war against your soul. There are overtones here of the Jewish story, aren't there? When Assyria came and destroyed the northern kingdom, they scattered the Jewish people. It's the same word, this diaspora, this picture of the Jewish people being scattered. When Babylon came and captured Judah and took them out of their homeland in around 586 BC, they became exiles, God's people living in Babylon, God's people living in a foreign land. The only other time that this word for exiles is used in the New Testament outside of this letter of 1 Peter is in Hebrews 11. And here the author is recounting the wilderness generation that only caught a glimpse of the promised land before they died. Read with me, it's on the screen, Hebrews 11 verse 13. These all died, although they had not received the things that they were promised, that were promised. But they saw them from a distance, greeted them, and confessed that they were foreigners and temporary residents on the earth. It seems to be that Peter is trying to say, hey, these people are foreigners and strangers, temporary residents on this earth. And Peter, who is a Jew, is using this term to talk to Christians because they're in the Lord Jesus. And so he himself is a Jewish person, 
And he is recognizing that the Gentile people in this area have been caught up in this Jewish story. His story is their story. And they're strangers in a foreign land. And Peter himself is a stranger in Rome where he's writing this letter. At the very end of Peter's letter, uh, he uses a cryptic word of Babylon (laughs) to talk about where he's writing from. Because for Peter, he sees the history of his people exiled in Babylon as a foretaste of what it means to live in this life, in this time, now. And it's because of this general audience that Peter writes to, uh, not a specific church, but, but a bunch of people that are scattered, that I take it this is a very applicable letter, a very timeless letter. For we are strangers, aren't we? Here today, we live in a hostile world, a world that is hostile towards Jesus. It's strange, and it is strange in the world to be a Christian, isn't it? According to Scripture, Christians appear strange to this world. We live in reverent fear of, not the world, but of God. To to them, our actions and attitudes seem strange. (laughs) It would be like if you went into a room and didn't talk to anyone. That would be a little bit odd. (laughs) Uh, that's, That's a similar kind of strangeness that the world sees on us. Things which excite them, that kind of bore us. Things that we find boring uh, really excite them. And so as Jesus followers, we're going to incur suffering. Not, not kind of physical suffering, <laughs> where we get sick all the time, or uh, where you know, natural disasters hit our country. Uh, it's, 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 it's suffering that comes as a result of knowing Jesus. Because the world, it's, it's not just a world out of step with God's purpose, is it? It's a world that's actually set against Jesus. We've seen that in our own country, just in the way legislation has continued over the recent years. Uh, The way um, same-sex marriage was approved, the way abortion was uh, passed through. Euthanasia last year, we've got the hate speech uh, stuff going through Parliament at the moment. As the heat gets turned up on Christianity, as the world kind of goes crazy with its ideologies, as Christians are continued to be made a mockery of on TV, 1 Peter is written to help us endure to the end, to encourage us to keep persevering, to manage our expectations as strangers. And so what should we expect as Christians? Exclusion. Exclusion from the world because of the king we serve. If you bear the name Christian, you will face exclusion. You'll face ridicule. You'll face discrimination. I have a friend who's done some theological studies in the past. He's got them listed on his CV, and rightly so. Yet it's his conviction that he often gets overlooked for jobs because he's so overtly Christian, just by simply having that on his CV. As I consider what it's looking like to raise our two girls in today's society, how am I going to be teaching them to live as strangers in this world? To expect exclusion, to expect suffering because of their love for Jesus. What are the ways that you're suffering for being a Christian? 
Where are you standing up for being a Christian in your workplace when push comes to shove? When are we courageously and boldly speaking the gospel, knowing that we will experience the same ridicule that our Lord Jesus experienced when he was on this earth? Well, Peter calls these strangers chosen. And so let's spend a bit of time digging into this idea of being chosen. You've got to admit, in the first two uh, verses of this letter, it seems a bit of a dense way to start. Uh, Peter could have just said, hey guys, Peter here, an apostle of Jesus Christ, uh, to those chosen living as exiles, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Let's crack on. Uh, but he doesn't. In verse 2, he gets into some quite theological underpinnings. And I think it's what Peter really wants his readers to understand. This is foundational to what it is to be a Christian. And specifically, we now have a new father. We belong to God, God our Father, who has worked in us alongside the Spirit and Jesus. We now belong to Him. So, read with me, picking up... uh, Verse 2 starts this way, We have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Now, this word foreknowledge uh, is where we get our English word prognosis from. So it's a word that you'd, use, you'd hear when you go to the doctor and they say, oh, this is what your likely outcome of your health is going to be. Um, if we take some considerations, uh, we, we could extend this prognosis. Um, it's, it's a knowledge of the future based on experience. The word can be used to describe what will happen um, if the doctor is powerless to alter events or when the doctor is actively intervening to bring about a particular outcome. And so it's in this kind of latter sense, the, the intervening sense, that Peter uses this word to show God the Father's sovereign purposes and planning throughout history. But it's even more than that. Because it's not just factual, it's relational. Christ Jesus, the Lamb, was foreknown before the foundation of the world because Jesus Christ's death on the cross was carefully planned from the beginning of time. We see this a little later on in chapter 1, starting at verse 18. For you know that you were redeemed from your empty way of life, inherited from your ancestors. Not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of an unblemished and spotless lamb. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for you. You see, in the same way God the Father's foreknowledge of these Christians relates to his decision at the very beginning to choose them, to set his love on them and to bring them to glory. See, from eternity, they have been known by God the Father and they belong to him. It's the sovereign Lord God who has always been in the business of choosing, right? When Jesus was here, he chose 12 disciples, not because they were amazing people. God chose a family in Noah. God chose a family in Abraham. God chose a nation called Israel and gave them a land, not because of anything they did. 
In fact, in Deuteronomy, we, we get that pretty plainly. <laughs> Deuteronomy 7 says this, For you are a holy people belonging to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be his own possession out of all the peoples on the face of the earth. The Lord had his heart set on you and chose you, not because you were more numerous than all peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples, but because the Lord loved you. It's because the Lord loves you that he chooses you. And here, Peter simply states what he knows to be true, that God loves you and chose you for such a time as this. Have you ever stopped to consider that? Why is it that you are alive today in 2021 here in Auckland at this particular moment in time? You've been chosen not just as an individual, but as part of God's people. And what a comfort that is. You see, the, the first and most defining moment in your life, it wasn't actually your birth. It won't be your marriage. It wasn't even your rebirth in Christ. It was actually your election in Christ. We, we have been esteemed by God, hand-picked. God has specifically picked you out to be part of his family, living as strangers in this world. We, we may not be at home on this earth, but we are home in God. And so when was the last time you stopped and said thank you to the God who stopped before time, turned his attention to you and said, I want to do good to you? When was the last time you stopped and turned your attention to what God has done for you? Because God the Father has chosen us. And secondly, God the Spirit dwells in us. You see, the moment that you say yes to Jesus, you can say two other statements simultaneously. That means that God chose me before time began, and that means that God's Spirit lives within me. We see that in verse 2 as we carry on. Through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. Now, to sanctify is to, to set something apart for exclusive use, yeah? It's, it relates to the work of the Spirit in setting someone apart so that they can belong to God. Why? In order to serve Him. These Christian believers have been set apart by the Spirit so that they now belong to God and already constitute a holy nation. One of my favorite verses in 1 Peter is in chapter 2. It says this, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So friends, we've been chosen to be exiles in this world. We've been chosen to be set apart to be God's people in this world. And Peter wants to make sure that we understand this. He's at pains to establish our identity. And we're going to spend some more time next week pressing into the remaining verses of that section that was read earlier for us. But what are we for? Why is this important? If we've got God the Father behind us choosing us, we've got God the Spirit within us, we've also got God the Son 
before us because we belong to Jesus. Take a look with me again at verse 2 as we carry on. It says this, to be obedient and to be sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ. See that? We are chosen strangers for obedience, to be obedient, to be subservient to our King Jesus. We're called to be holy, that is separate from the world. And God dares us to be different in that holiness. Christians are people who simply obey Jesus. It's not that hard. <laughs> but as the world presses in, as the world mocks and maligns and, and ridicules us, as we're increasingly feeling like foreigners in our own country, how is it that we should respond? Remember the twin temptations when foreigners move to another country? The, the first... Uh, option is to stick together, right? To, to eat the same food, to talk the same language, to not engage in that foreign culture. Withdraw, perhaps, for your own safety. The alternative is that people do the complete opposite. They, they diminish the differences. They adopt the cultures and customs and, and practices of those around them. They work hard at, at not standing out. Friends, I want to tell us today that neither of these options are available to us. As chosen exiles, as strangers in this world, what are we for? We're made for obedience to Jesus. That means no compromising. It means not obeying anything else except for Jesus alone. And so I take it we're to look different to the world around us as a result of that. The, the things we place value on will be different. The way we make life decisions will be different. How we spend our time and Energy and resources will be different. We'll prioritize even gathering with a motley bunch of people like this every week <laughs> to encourage one another to be obedient to Jesus. And as we do that, as we seek to be obedient, it will bring about conflict. As we obey Jesus, we'll see more and more clearly that we really are strangers. And Peter says that it should help us to long all the more for our heavenly home. The Father has chosen us. He's set us apart by the Spirit that we may live a life of obedience to Jesus Christ, having been made clean for that life through the sprinkling of His blood. In Hebrews, the writer in chapter 9 tries to pull some of these threads together. It says this, For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a young cow, sprinkling those who are defiled, sanctify for the purification of the flesh. Well, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse our consciences from dead works, so that we can serve the living God? Friends, Jesus has paid such a price in order for us to live in obedience to him, to live in service of him. And so as we embark on this journey in 1 Peter, as we look into what it's going to look like for us to navigate this world, I hope this morning we've just grasped something profound about what it means to be a Christian, that we are chosen strangers. We, we don't belong here, yeah? This isn't our home. And so here we can expect to be reviled, to, to be slandered, to be insulted, and yet... 
we're chosen by God for such a time as this. Set apart according to His great plan. And so, friends, may I encourage us as we move out from here today that we'll be people who live in light of this profound truth. May it redefine and shape our perspective on life. And as Peter says, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Let's pray. Father God, we're so thankful that you in your great plans, have chosen us. Not because we deserve it, not because of anything we've done, but that your love would be displayed. And as strangers who live in this world, we want to ask you to continue to help us to live in obedience to our Lord Jesus. As we continue to look at this important letter of Peter's over the next few weeks, we ask that you would grow us in our obedience to Jesus, recognizing that heaven is our home. And while we wait, we say, come, Lord Jesus, come. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon recording from Auckland EV. We hope you found it helpful. And if you'd like to find out more about Jesus or about church, we'd love to get in touch. So check out our website at aucklandev.co.nz for more details. Thanks for listening.